Welcome to Welcome Fire to Talk Fire Radio, Radio, teaching the unfiltered Word of God with the anointing of His Spirit. With subjects on eternity and the choices we make that determine our eternal destiny. Hi, my name is Adam Grigsby, and welcome to another episode of the uh, Fire Talk Radio. Tonight, uh, we'll be discussing the topic of to fe- fearing and honoring God, uh, which really are just synonymous terms. Uh, we're going to discuss what the fear of God is, what it's not, and what it means to also honor each other in the fear of the Lord. Deborah, go ahead and greet the people. Hello, everyone. I'm glad you joined us tonight from whatever time zone or part of the world that you're listening from. And we're really glad that you're here tonight. And we're going to discuss the, these things. Uh, they're very important, as Adam was saying. So we're going to discuss them, and and hopefully you'll be a lot more enlightened and challenged in the Word of God to to do these things as well. So, Adam? Well, we're going to start with uh, the beginning, because that's what the Scripture is about. It's Proverbs 9.10, here appropriately for the beginning of the show. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Um, It's important to note that this knowledge that it's speaking of is not just head knowledge. It's not knowing about God, but rather it's speaking of knowing him intimately. And he's saying without the fear, and fear in this context, which we're going to get more into, meaning reverence and honor for him, is what this speaks of. It says without reverence and honor for him, you have no ability to know him intimately. So it's safe to say that that's a pretty important topic. In fact, according to the Word of God, it is the very basis of our Christian walk along with the love of God. You have to understand something about the fear of God and the love of God. They flow together. They're hand in hand. It's not like it's not like one is opposite from the other. You need both to stay on the path of life. You know, um, I remember like uh, one great preacher, he said once, you know, the narrow road, like any other road, has really two ditches on either side of it. And he goes, and one ditch is the, one ditch is the, ro- the ditch of lasciviousness or blatant sin, and on the other ditch is the, the ditch of legalism. And, um, we need, and it's the love of God that keeps us from the ditch of you know, legalism and you know, being a Pharisee, essentially. But it's the fear of God that keeps us from the ditch of blatant sin. You must have both. Unfortunately, unbalanced preaching in this day has brought about in either way, you know, you have some people that just preach a very legalistic holiness and you have to have hair, hair, hair in a bun and, you know, dress down your ankles and, you know, this and that. And that's not holiness because, like one guy said, you know, you can have a, a dress up down to your ankles and up to your neck and have a seducing spirit up to your eyeballs. But that's not holiness. Uh, whereas on the flip side of it, there's also this just kind of flimsy sloppy agape not really the love of god message that's preached without the fear of god that just causes people to just feel like they can just do whatever they want and god's okay with that because you know he just doesn't you know ever since the cross he doesn't see us doing anything wrong so either one is wrong we must stay we must have both flames burning in our heart to stay on the radical middle if you will on the narrow road of life deborah Right, exactly. And um, just uh, on a side note, just to let you know, if you would like to call in and comment or or anything like that, the number is 646-668-2093. That is 646-668-2093. So if you have any prayer requests or you have comments or things like that, feel free to call in. And, and as always, Adam and I flow with the Holy Ghost that we try to, so we'll well, we may not get to you right away, but we welcome your calls, or even if you just are able to listen that way as well, and you don't have internet connection, you're welcome to do that. So, Adam, when we were talking about these things um, earlier, what we were going to talk about, 
I thought of uh, in Colossians 3.17 where it speaks of, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so whatever, um, so basically another scripture, I'm I'm not sure exactly if I don't have the address for it, the scripture address, but I'll try and look it up. It says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So as Adam was saying, this fear of the Lord and honor is kind of synopsis or, you know, kind of similar terms for the same thing. So there are actually many ways in which we can honor God, and that's in time, talents, our tongue, and also our body, and our substance, our first fruits, our wealth, our money, relationships, uh, it could be friendship, family, work relationships, children, any kinds of relationships, and also our marriage as well. And in dating, things like that, and in our thoughts. And uh, there are so many different ways that just go go on. And, and in like, in our witness as well. And I had a scripture for honoring God in our in our tongue, and that is um, Proverbs. I actually had it over here. I'm gonna look it up real quick. It's important to honor honor the Lord with our tongue because if uh you know it's it's very important because let's see in here. Because if we don't honor him with our tongue, you know, our words our words have power. In Colossians four six it says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man in Ephesians four twenty nine. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to unto the hearers. So it's very important when we're talking, and also in Proverbs it reads, um, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and uh, they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And so that's also very important to talk how how we talk what we talk about and how we say it and we can either build people up with our words or we can tear them down with our words whether we mean to or not even in just a simple joke um which might not even really seem like it means anything it might just be a, just a silly joke or just commenting on somebody's hair or appearance or whatever just because we're being silly or goofy or but not not realizing or not not remembering that on on the day we stand before Jesus, everybody's going to give an account for every idle word that proceeds out of their mouth. So even if it's just in joking, even if it's speaking out of frustration, there's appropriate ways of speaking. Of there's appropriate ways of venting, and there's inappropriate ways to vent. When you're venting in the correct way, you're gonna you're gonna Think about what you say before you say it because you're going to choose those words carefully. Yes, it's important to vent, but if you do it in the incorrect way, in the inappropriate way, you're going to say things just out of frustration, really just talk off, off, just shoot out, out the hip, basically, just say what comes to mind. And really, a lot of things are are said in the heat of the moment that people 
even if they're not speaking directly to the person they're frustrated with, a lot of those things will come out that they wish they hadn't said because they, they get convicted the moment they say it. I mean, hey, I've done it. And where I've said something where I'm bending and I'm like, oops, and I get convicted. It's like I got a dagger in my in my heart. Really, in my spirit, it feels like I, I my stomach flinches because I, 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 I know I've said something wrong, whether I meant to or not. And then I'm convicted to say, hey, you need to think before you speak, even if it's just you're venting. Because it's, it's very important because we're going to have to give an account of that word that we spoke. And also, I mean, I feel like, because there's life and death in the power of the tongue, and I, I personally feel like the other person can almost feel that dagger sometimes, you know, and uh, whether or not the other person's meant it or not. So, and there's... um so just be really careful on how you how you do that. And also that kind of leads up to the next, another one I was going to talk about was our witness. If we're um, saying that we're Christian, we profess to be Christian, we go to church, and then we're with somebody else, whether they're saved or unsaved, and or we're talking trash, uh, we're not honoring God with our tongues, then we're we're living a double standard and we're not having a good witness for the saved or the unsaved alike. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And I can give a couple of examples of that that happened to me. And that was, this was before I started going to church, and there were people, a couple of different people that were trying to witness to me and say, hey, you really need to go to church, and I got this awesome place. It's a great church. I think you should go. You'd really like it a lot. I had this one friend telling me that. She's like, oh, you really need to go. You'd like it. It'll help you a lot. And she goes, oh, I'm running late. I've I've got to go meet my boyfriend, and I've got to get home before my husband gets home. I'm like, what is the, what's wrong with this picture? Something's wrong with this picture. Because she's preaching to me one thing, but she's doing the exact opposite. And I didn't condemn her then. I don't condemn her now. I'm not speaking condemningly about her or accusatory at all towards her. I mean, that's, she was going through issues, obviously, and I'm not, I'm just using her for an example. But I'm like, what's wrong with this picture? And with this other person and their family members, they're saying, oh, yeah, you really, really, really need to go to church. And you love this one place, really nice people. It's got good prayers, got a lot of, a lot of good, really good paintings on the wall that they have. And then they took a joint out of their pocket and they lit it up. And then they offered it to me and I took a hit off of it. So which God is more powerful to them, the joint that they're smoking or the real God that is in church? Unfortunately, due to unbalanced unbalanced uh, teaching on grace and uh, lack of teaching on who Jesus really is, people have developed this attitude that they can just kind of do whatever they want and say say a prayer at the end of the day, and say you know I've asked for forgiveness, and you know God is good, 
And um, what people have often done is they've taken one scripture like John 3.16, that if whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, and so, see, so all I have to do is believe, and they've taken like First John where it says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. They've taken those two scriptures and made their entire Christianity about that. So, okay, I just have to believe and confess my sins, and I'm going to heaven. But that's not what the whole of the New Testament teaches, because the same Jesus that said that is the same Jesus that said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven for those that do the will of my Father. And if you go into James chapter 2, it talks about that if you really, really have faith, if you really, really believe then it's going to be backed up by your works. And it says, you know, even the devil believes, and he's not going, he's not, he's certainly not saved. So is, so if we, we really don't believe, we really don't trust God, we really don't honor God, we really don't fear God, unless our actions back it up. And of course, none of us are perfect, and of course we mess up, and of course, but the person that fears the Lord is going to acknowledge those things before God and say, God, you know, but I really, really want to change. And they'll, they'll seek after God, and with God's help they can change. But the but but the person that doesn't fear the Lord, they profess Jesus with their mouth, but their heart. But they'll inevitably basically just try to use Jesus for a fire insurance, and that doesn't work. Um, and then those people, will be, um, I dare say that it'll probably be more professing Christians than unbelievers that'll be shocked on Judgment Day, because these are people that are going to be standing before Him, fully expecting to hear Him say, "Enter to the joy of the Lord," only to hear the words, "Depart from me, I never knew you." You know, I often say the only thing worse than a person going to hell is a person that thinks they're going to heaven but going to hell. Because the person, the guy off in the strip club, the guy out smoking crack, the guy out, you know, running an illegitimate business, whatever, you know, living a blatant lifestyle of sin, typically, usually, they really, they know that they're sinners. And so to, to tell them that they're sinners and they're possibly going to hell, that's not really a big shock to them. However, the person that goes to church but then uses the blood of Jesus to cover their ungodly lifestyle because they know like just enough of the enough of the Bible to make, basically make themselves deceived because they don't know the whole thing. Uh, basically, they're, they're in the worst deception. And unfortunately, we have many preachers who lack the fear of God that in order to maintain popularity, maintain a certain ministry size, uh, you know, get their book published, whatever the case may be, They've pursued success in ministry at the expense of the people that they're teaching. And unfortunately, you know, what's the point of having a 50,000-member church if 10,000 of them, I mean, 40,000 of them wind up going to hell? I mean, and these people, these teachers will stand before the Lord, and they'll have no excuses. The Lord answers back to them, did you not read my word where it says that do not desire to be a teacher, for you'll be judged more harshly. But when we fear God and we reference God, we'll want, we'll want to do nothing but preach what he wants us to preach, teach what he wants us to teach, and we'll, and we'll want to teach the truth regardless of the reputation it gives us with people. Because why? Because we honor God above the opinions of people. I remember once on a, on a small level, I remember God was telling me to – he wanted me to fast. And uh, I was trying to dodge it, you know, because it's not my, wasn't my favorite thing to do. And uh, and I remember my new excuse was that there was a church t- church picnic that day, and everyone was going to be eating, and I didn't want to look like a flake by staying there not eating. Hmm. And so I told God, well, I don't want to look like a flake. So I sought God that morning. His presence came, and I thought to myself, man, I guess God must be okay with me, you know, going to this thing and having a hamburger. And then God spoke to me as I was buttoning my shirt and said, you know, you're only you're you're nobody's servant but mine. Basically, what God was saying to me is it doesn't matter what they think. If you really honor me, if you really fear me, then you don't serve anybody but me. So do what I say. And I'm just like, eesh. You know, and another time, you know, another time when God wanted me to fast, I asked him if I could do it in two weeks when I was a little more ready. And God spoke to me and said, if I wanted you in two weeks, I would have told you in two weeks. So in short, 
the fear of the Lord is measured by, you know, and this is one of the ways you can know whether you really fear God or not. Yeah, you know, ask yourself, do you, you know, when God tells you to do something, how quick do you do it, especially when it's not something you want to do? I mean, have you ever said to yourself, man, you know, the Lord has been dealing with me for this about this for a couple months. That's a complete lack of the fear of God, because if you really fear God, your obedience is instant. When you really fear God, there's, it's not delayed obedience. And so that's really, really key, you know. So those, that's one of the ways you can know whether or not you fear God. And just examine your heart. It's not condemnation. But if you realize you're lacking it, then you can look at God and say, God, I'm sorry, but I want that to change. Uh, before I go any further, I really want to make the distinction between the fear of God and being afraid of God. Um, Exodus 20, verse 20 says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces, and that you sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near into the thick darkness where God was. And then if you go to uh, Revelations chapter 1, um, I'm going to read some of this. this is, actually, I'm starting at verse 12, and it talks about Jesus, and it says that when John saw him, he was, his, head was, his hair was white, white like wool, his eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet were as fine brass if they burned in a furnace. His voice was the sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as a dead man. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So basically, you know, John, and so would you. I mean, I think any of us would be. John saw him and was like, just like, just fell on his face. But Jesus put his hand on him and said, don't be afraid. So God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. If we approach with the fear of the Lord, we don't have to be afraid of God. But again, that comes with fear and reverence and, and prompt obedience to his word. And again, if you don't realize, if you're realizing you don't have that, maybe you've never seen, heard this before, then the good news is you're hearing it tonight and God can help you change. Amen. Amen, and, and uh, I had, uh, I don't know, I feel like I I sort of need to, uh, had some other, above the tongue here, mm -hmm. I feel sort of like I'm camping here for a reason, in Proverbs 18, 19 through 21, it says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. James 1.26 If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but to but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. The untamable tongue in James 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. 
See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. We have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Matthew fifteen seventeen. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth, I mean, come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. A tree is known by its fruit, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good, and an evil man, Out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. We are members of the same body. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And when when we bite and devour one another, we grieve the Holy Spirit. He is hurt when we do not get along. 
And when we do not walk in love with one another, and when we talk behind each other's backs, or even think bad thoughts about each other, to grieve means to feel grief or great sorrow. She has grieved over his death for nearly three years. And number two, it means to distress mentally, cause to feel grief or sorrow. It grieves me to see you so unhappy. Number three, archaic, to oppress or wrong. Number four, to burden, heavy. Synonyms, lament, weep, bewail, bemoan, suffer, grieve. Mourn implies showing suffering caused by sorrow. Grieve is, it, grieve is the stronger word implying deep mental suffering, often endured alone and in silence but revealed by one's aspect. Number two, sadden, pain. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. So a lot of these scriptures speak of speak of controlling our tongue and not biting and devouring each other, even if it's just in the wrong form of, of venting. So... A lot of a lot of that it's it's really important because when Jesus cursed the fig tree, that thing was totally cursed, and it was it shriveled up and it died. There's power in our words, and if we speak the wrong words, whether or not we mean to, they will take fruition, so it's time for to call for a crop failure on all the negative things we've spoken, the negative words spoken over our lives, whether we actually heard them or not, and the, the words that we've spoken over, over others' lives as well. It's a very, very important, important thing. Amen. You know, um, I can say that uh, numerous times in my own life, it's like uh, the power of words has uh, come. And not, it's not... You know, it comes through with blessing and cursing. So in the same way that we have to be careful about the negative things we speak, we can choose to instead, like what we're talking about tonight, to now talk about honoring people by speaking good things over them. I remember that uh, it was years ago, uh, one of my pastors who was working with me, he told me to read a book. And the book he told me to read really absolutely just kind of shocked me. But I, I, it was a book on honor, but it was a secular book. And what I realized is that at that time, the reason that he had to have me read probably a secular book on honor because because there was really no Christian's book on the subject that had been written, which is really, really scary. I mean, this is a big topic, but yet it seems like, especially in the American church, it's just not a very understood topic. Uh, honor just isn't. So uh, the book was called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, and the whole book was about honoring people, not in a way to, not just to get something out of them, but to live a lifestyle of honoring people. And I found that when I went around doing that, and if I would just say just one little positive thing to some people, I would just, you know, watch their whole face light up and watch their whole day change. So the power of words, it works in the negative. That's true. And man, 
if we can not only not just we don't just watch speaking negative things, but choose to speak positive things to people, you know, and really go out of our ways to do that, you'll find yourself, you know, really, you know, changing people's days and stuff like that. You know, I was in a church not that long ago, and somebody felt prompted to give me a book on the power of your words by this teacher named Kenneth Hagin. And so God has really been, this is an area of my life that God's really dealt with me on where I can't just, you know, walk around and just talk about people however I want. And, uh, you know, if you stumble, the Bible says very clear that we all stumble in many ways. But if you do stumble, repent and get up and keep going. But start and ask God to put a guard over your mouth. Ask God to check you every time you say something without realizing, hey, this is wrong. And start making efforts to start going out of your way, not just to not speak negative things, but positive things over people, speaking the blessing of God, speaking the word of God. You know, um, you know, in, in one, one area where your words are really powerful is in relation to wives when they're trying to, you know, win their husbands to Jesus. There's a lot of, or vice versa. And a lot of times what people do is I was in a situation where I knew a couple and the wife would nag her husband. You don't do this and you don't do that. And I wanted to be married to a man of God and no, 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 no. And, uh, but she, but rather, instead of speaking faith over him, she just nagged him and it never did anything to cause him to want to walk with God. To the contrary, I have a, I know one leader, a very strong leader, who was saved out of living in a really bad area. You know, he sold drugs and things of that nature, came out of a very bad lifestyle. And when he got saved, you know, in his own words, he says, you know, I was saved in my heart, but I was still a gangster in my mind. But he goes, but he was married to this amazing Christian woman that just spoke the word of God over him. And she didn't nag him. She just honored him, and she spoke the word of God over him. And today he's one of the greatest men of God I know. So the power of your words works both in the positive and the negative. So it's really, really, truly important that we understand that and begin to go out of our way. And I really do recommend that book, by the way. Yes, it's a secular book, but hey, there's principles in there. I dare say that sometimes sometimes the, the world sometimes understands things that the Christians need to understand because Christians seem to think that the grace of God is a Band-Aid to cover things, um, but it's not. The grace of God empowers us to do these things. Amen? So uh, with that being said, yeah, the power of your words, don't, the power of life and death. It doesn't just say the power of death. It says the power of life and death. So we can choose to speak the power of life and not just, the power, and not just avoid the power of death. Amen? Right. I read that book uh, after you read it. I was actually reading it not long And it just um, made me think of an uh, illustration in there that Kenneth Hagan was talking about, he said that somebody in there, they got a call, an urgent call from somebody that this certain person, I think they had a heart attack and they were in ICU. They didn't think they were going to make it. So they rushed down there. They were praying with them and they were praying and the doctors told them, they said, look, stop praying because you're praying and your your prayers and your faith are going to bring this person back. They were without oxygen for for 30 minutes, and they said they're just going to be a vegetable. Their mind's going to be a mess. But they refused to quit praying. They prayed for this person until they they came back. Um, They were out of the hospital really, like, amazingly soon. Their mind was not a vegetable. Their mind was good. The only issue was the wife because... Uh, Kenneth Hagan and his wife were visiting this couple and the wife kept saying after the man he went back to preaching because while he was recovering his wife was preaching but then his uh, I think him 
and Kenneth Hagen must have been tag teaming because later on that night, the, the wife said to the husband, you're, you're, the doctors are right. Your mind is just a mess because you messed up a whole bunch of times. And Kenneth, Kenneth Hagen's wife said to her, and if that's the case, then, or something like there's nothing wrong with his mind because my husband messed up plenty of times. It's, it's a natural thing. And as time progressed and went by, um, they were standing there, and she kept speaking death over this man. Things like, "Oh, you're you're going to be dead soon if you keep if you keep acting like this and you keep going." I think the doctors are were right, and just you're just not going to make it. And and she kept going on about this till finally, Kenneth Hagen said to her, "If you don't stop speaking death over your husband." He will be dead in two years. And at first she got angry at him. And then he's like, I didn't even say that. The Lord spoke it through me. You need to be careful how you're speaking about your husband. And for a little while it got better. And, you know, they, um, then they, they, you know, Kenneth Hagen and they come back and visit on and off. And she kept speaking death, speaking death, speaking death. Two years. So when he had prophesied, if she did not quit speaking death, he would be dead. She cursed him and didn't even realize that. But the sad thing, my heart sank when I read that because the sad thing was she was warned by God to, to stop speaking death. But she spoke it anyway. And he was dead. There's power in our words. There's power even in people who aren't maybe necessarily Christian or all the way Christian because... There was this person that when they were a little baby, they had sisters, and they were just the the boy. And so they spoke over this person's life saying, they didn't realize what they were saying. They said, oh, I think he's going to turn out gay because he's around girls all the time. He'll probably play with dolls. He'll probably end up gay. They said it so many times. He's gay now, today. And that's really sad. We don't realize that we speak just as God spoke the world into existence, we can speak other people's lives and even death into existence. Some with warning, some without knowledge, like that lady had warning, and some people can speak other people's death without even knowing it. That's why I personally feel like I'm just going to cancel from now on after speaking these things. I'm going to, everything that I've said, negative, without realizing it, I'm going to speak a crop failure. And, and, and towards, like, at the end of the day, whenever it is that I go to sleep, or even, or if I feel like it at that time, I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to speak, I'm going to cancel every word that's been spoken over me that I may have heard or not heard, and just speak a crop failure over it, a negative crop failure. And then every, every positive word spoken over my life that I spoke, is gonna be is gonna be taken into fruition and is gonna come to pass because as I was saying, you know, God God spoke the world into into existence with His words and He gave us, as it says, the power of of the words. It says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue," and those that eat it, those that love it, shall eat the fruit thereof, and in in Genesis one, it 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 speaks about how basically 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And you read all the way down to verse 29. And it is the history of creation in verse 3. Then God said, verse 6. Wait, verse 6, then God said. Verse 9, then God said. Verse 11, then God said. And in verse 14, then God said. Verse 20, then God said. Verse 24, then God said. Verse 26, then God said. Verse 29, then God said. That's one Six, seven, eight, nine. There's like about ten, and then God said everything that God spoke here happened. It came into existence, just like when He cursed the fig tree with His words. The fig tree was cursed. So God said, God said, God said everything, and He gave us that power as well. Amen. You know, now some people listening to this. Are probably thinking to yourself, well, there you go. You're claiming that you're speaking that word of faith, that name it, claim it, grab it, blab it doctrine, you know. And but let me say this, you know, when I hear people that have a problem with this, really what it is is that there are people that have taken this kind of doctrine to the extreme and made it to, well, you know, as a Christian, and it, you know, they've just it, like anything, anything can be twisted, and they, you know, now you can just, and you got Christians walking around speaking, you know, limos and Lamborghinis and their own selfish gain into existence you know, and this whole thing, and they've twisted this to be something that it's not. But that doesn't mean that there isn't the true. It doesn't mean there isn't the right way to, to preach this. And unfortunately, there's many Christians that have completely rejected this. And when you say scriptures like, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue, they go, well, that, that's not true. I mean, God, God, God's in control, and we have no control over what happens is God's will. And, and just let me say this, you know, if everything that happens is God's will, you know, I know that people are going to get mad at me for saying this, God's doing a really bad job. I mean, think about it. I mean, this world is just plagued by disease. I mean, poverty. I mean, over half of the population of the earth doesn't even have clean water, et cetera, et cetera. So if you really think that, it's, that, God, that, that, God's, that God's truly controlling everything and that man has nothing to do with it, then really that puts a pretty bad image on God. But, but this is actually what Psalms 115, 16 says. It says, the heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. 
So that means, you know, God, when he put Adam in the garden, he gave Adam authority over the earth. And it was actually Adam's job to guard and actually protect it from the devil. And unfortunately, Adam sold out to the devil. The world came under dominion of the devil. And now, in, now, any, now, except for those that are truly serving the Lord Jesus, this entire earth is under the sway of the devil and the people that follow him. And the only way things change is when the light of the world being us, remember Jesus was the light of the world, but he left, and now it's Jesus and us is the light of the world. And unless we do something, then darkness just does whatever it wants. So this idea that we as Christians don't have any power to, to speak anything into existence, to make any kind of real true change, and we just gonna, we're just going to sit around and do the best we can and be a bunch of weak, sick, defeated people, and we can't really and just hope the rapture comes, it's ridiculous. I mean, we have power to change things with our actions, but also with our words, as we're talking about tonight. Um, you know, I remember, you know, I was... Um, learning a lot about this kind of thing. And uh, I remember when I went to, I went to a pawn shop one day and, uh, and you know, this doesn't just work over, you know, people and yourself. It works over your circumstances. Of course, as long as things are in line with the word of God. Now, when you start using this ability to speak things that are not in line with the word of God, then now, now, now we're getting into witchcraft and things of that nature, because now you're trying to speak your will into the earth, not God's will into the earth. And that creates a problem. That's where you get that whole teaching the secret from. There's a lot of truth in that teaching the secret, but the problem is, is that they twist it and they make it about them, and that's when you know demons and devils get involved and it becomes witchcraft. But when you use this ability uh, to begin to speak God's will into the earth and you know speak faith into the earth, that's when that's when things change. I remember like you know I was believing for something that wasn't necessarily I couldn't find what I was believing for in the Bible. It wasn't really something God had put on my heart. You know it was just kind of like just something. You know, and uh, God spoke to me. He says, you know, faith is to leave my will into the earth, not your will into the earth. And so that's where that's really where this that's where this teaching comes into balance when we use this ability to speak God's will into the earth, not our own. And that's what's really, really key. And that's really what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be using our words and our actions to affect and change everyday life around us. So what happened is I go to this pawn shop and I had two dollars. And uh, at this time I worked in a nursing home. I made eight dollars and fifty cents an hour. Um, I, let's just say I wasn't exactly, you know, rolling it. And I had $2 and I had a choice between buying some old school flash from the past video game that I wanted or buying this CD of confessions of faith that a minister had put out. They sold like used CDs there for like two bucks. And of all CDs that was there, I bought this CD of faith confessions. I went home and I popped it in. As I began to speak the faith confessions from the word of God over my life, the power of God just like hit my house. I mean, I was just like, wow. I mean, and then, you know, years later, I was at church, and there was this guy in the church speaking on the blessing, and he was talking about how the blessing of God isn't necessarily when somebody gets blessed with a car, oh, I got the blessing, or, you know, I got blessed with somebody, oh, I got the blessing. The blessing is a spiritual force that rests upon us as children of God, and in the same way in the Bible, when Isaac blessed his sons, so in the same way, when we become born-again children of God, God places his blessing on us. And when we operate in God's kingdom principles, uh, you know, then, then that blessing rests upon us. And I thought to myself, well, man, I want the blessing on me. That night, a kid, somebody handed this kid an envelope. They didn't even know me. He handed this kid an envelope. The kid walked to me and says, hey, somebody told me to give this to you. And on the envelope, it said, the blessing is on you. And I opened it up, and, it's, and in the envelope, it said there was a letter that said, speak the word day and night, and you know, keep faith and pressure on the word. You know, basically, it's saying that you're going to have the word of God if you keep speaking the word of God. You know, and so that was, uh, that was such a life-changing event for me. 
And when if I find myself slacking off on that, I always you know need to get back that that I'm speaking the word of God, that I'm going to change my circumstances by speaking the word of God. And if I get lax and just expect everything just to go a certain way, no, I control my life by but whether or not I speak the word of God. You know, the Bible says if we meditate on the law day and night, we'll have good success. Meditating isn't just sitting on a pillow and chanting. Rather, it's it's actually referring to muttering, and it's it's just repeating and chewing and meditating on the Word of God over and over and over again. And it says if you do this day and night, you'll have good success. Now, this is not saying that uh, you need to sit there and just sit in a room alone with the door shut and meditate on the Word of God 16 hours a day while your kids need to be taken care of and your husband needs to be honored and things of that nature. No. This is stuff you can do throughout your day. You can just sit there throughout your day and just meditate on the Word of God. Whatever it is you're going through, just speak, begin to speak and meditate on the Word of God throughout your day. And as you do that, and that's a lifestyle for you, then your life is going to be dramatically affected by it. Amen? Amen. That's a good clarification there. And so I was just actually going over to, um, I was going over to my notes here that I had made, and in the in the thoughts on like what you were talking about, it can be if we if you don't do it right, it turns out to be witchcraft and New Age, and a lot of the reasons that that comes out is part of it is biblical, uh, biblical. Um, biblical principles but they're working it for their own gain um so it's just because it has the spiritual laws and the principles but it's really not what we need to be doing because yeah, witchcraft is about control so when it's about getting your way and not god's way that's when everything gets altered right and you know thinking about honoring god and with our thoughts as well mm-hmm. because we can say, oh, I honor God, you know, we can honor God with our lips. We've been talking about the tongue, the good and the bad way to honor God. Well, not that you ever honor, but, you know, the good and the bad ways that we talk and how to honor God with the positive. But there's also the thoughts. The thoughts really are the same as the tongue. You're just not putting a voice to it. It would be like me cussing you out. In my head, Adam, while I'm talking to you about something else, because I'm mad at you about something or things like that, uh, or you know anybody else that I'm I'm thinking bad about, but I'm being nice to their face. It's still the same thing. It's just it's thoughts with without um, without a voice. And in Isaiah 11:2. It speaks of the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Well, that talks some about 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 honoring. But I was thinking about those thoughts and how we can get into what a lot of people call thinking, thinking. Because whether it's, oh, I'm never going to lose weight, I'm never going to be able to do this, or if it's, I'm never going to be able to give up cigarettes, I'm never going to be able to do, never going to be able to do. Well, really, I don't know if I can remember it verbatim, Holy Spirit, help me, but it's like our our thoughts become our words. 
Our words become our actions. Our actions become basically who we are. I have to look that up basically later, but it's so basically it, it's like it's a process. You plant the seed of your thought because you're not casting it down. And then the thought becomes the word, the word becomes the action, the actions become the deeds and becomes the lifestyle. And that becomes the person of who we are. So it's very important to cast down every every vain thought that we have in Philippians 4, 8 through 9, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, in all of these things, we have to remember to take the thoughts captive and also to renew our minds with the Word of God. I don't actually have a scripture right now in front of me, but it talks about renewing our mind and putting on the mind of Christ so that we will have we can cast those thoughts down. And our pastor always says, you you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your head. So basically, every thought, thoughts are going to come to us, and it's what's actually uh, described as a fiery dart from the wicked one, which is they're actually putting, trying to put thoughts in our in our head so that we will try and capture those thoughts. And not every thought you get is your own. If you're a good Christian and you're sitting there, God is not going to tell you to go murder somebody when he said, his word says, thou shalt not kill. So you have to, we decipher our thoughts through the Bible, the word of God, and getting into the word of God, reading the word of God and what, what the word says, what God's word, what he wants and, and his intent. And then we can know and decipher which thoughts are of the enemy and which thoughts are of God. And in Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So basically with those, it talks about how if we, are, you know, if we keep our mind on God, on, you know, on them, we're going to be able to do these. Take in the, take, we're going to have perfect peace. His mind is stayed on me. And taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If you're struggling in area, any area of the thoughts, whether it's lust, whether it's a negative, self-defeating attitude, whatever those things are that you're struggling in, in your mind, just take three by five cards, like index cards, and 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 search the scriptures, Google it, or whatever scripture, however you want to search it, uh, the topic, 
and 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 put it down on the three by five cards and 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 read it out loud like Adam was talking about meditating on it and you know reading it over and over again and really looking at it and seeing what it's actually saying so you can do it that way or you can look up a bunch you can print it out put it in like a little book form so that you that's a weapon to counterattack stinking thinking yeah. uh the scripture verse that you mentioned was actually romans 12 2 it says do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind um i remember once i was in a bookstore and uh i really didn't feel like buying another book but i was in the bookstore and there was a book about the power of your thoughts and uh, i just felt the anointing like rolling off the page and i was just like man i really don't want to spend 20 bucks on a book right now but i knew i finally had to and when I went home, you know, I was like, and I've said this on the show before, but it was like the author was talking about how they were just really struggling with the thought, wrestling with the thought. And God spoke to him and says, well, why don't you just think about something else? You know, because when we, when we think that, that when we think about casting on thoughts, we're thinking about it presents this image in our mind, if you will, of us like, you know, tra- taking a thought and wrestling with it and casting it down. But it's actually the way we cast it down is the scripture that, uh, the Deborah quoted that whatever things are holy, just, faithful, pure, and true, think on these things. You understand your mind can only only focus truly on one thing at once. So you literally, rather than trying to wrestle with the thoughts, you can choose to, again to displace those thoughts with the good thoughts. And if you'll think on the good thought, then the bad thought can't come in. And you'll find how much easier it is to get rid of the bad thoughts when you just instead, you know, I'm not going to think about this. Because what the devil will do, he'll place crazy thoughts in your head or your flesh even, and uh, you'll be thinking, man, what, what kind of horrible person am I? Like a, and then it's like he'll put the thought in your head and then he'll condemn you for the thought. But what you have to do is recognize, okay, this is not my thought because, you know, I'm a, I'm a man of God. I'm a child of God. My, I, am, I am my spirit man. You know, you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in your body. And, you know, your flesh doesn't want to do the will of God. Your mind has to be programmed, as the verse meant, we're talking about. And so your spirit man, the real you, doesn't want to think these thoughts. So you can say, you know, this is my flesh, this is, or this is the devil, but this is not me. So I reject this thought, and uh, I'm going to choose to think about something else. Only when you choose to accept the thought and dwell on the thought does it become your thought. Amen? So that's how, that's how you can begin to win that battle in the mind, is recognizing that the thoughts are not yours. Some of you are probably really having battles in your thoughts, you know, and you're like, man, what kind of horrible person I am? I just think about stuff, crazy stuff all the time. And, you know, I've had the devil put, like, crazy stuff in my head. I mean, stuff I didn't even think about before I got saved. And I'm just like, man, what's wrong with me? But you realize it's not your thought. You have to choose not, I I don't accept this thought, and I'm going to choose to think about something else. And that's how you defeat in that realm. It's You know, sometimes things are a lot more simple than we make it. You know, oftentimes the analogy that I have for it is in the natural, you know, if if there was something that you didn't want to look at, you wouldn't get rid of it by just staring at it and like speaking against like, you know, I don't, I mean, if, if there's something bad on your TV and you don't want to watch it, I don't care how much you sit there and speak to your TV. I do believe in the power of life and death is in the tongue, but chances are no matter how much you speak to the TV, the channel may not change. What do you got to do? You, but, you, but you sit there and you keep staring at the TV, but you're saying, I rebuke this, I come against this, but yet you're looking at it. So you're actually dwelling on it. What you have to do is just in the same way that you change, you, you have to pick up the remote and change the channel. Well, guess what? You have to do the same thing with your mind. You can cast down the thought by, you can, you, yeah, you can speak against it. I come against this in the name of Jesus. This is not my thought, and I'm going to choose now to think about something else. And you change the channel. You think about something else. Amen? So 
that's one of the ways that we can deal with those things. So uh, renewing the mind is very important. Um, you know, what we think about definitely uh, affects us. You know, if you if you're feeling down, if you're feeling beat up, then you know, think about what you've been you know, think about what you've been thinking about. Amen. Um, now regarding now we're talking now you said I say what does this have to do with the fear of the Lord? Absolutely everything because you know when we fear and honor God it's it's we honor Him and we reverence Him in every area of our lives and right now we just tend to be focusing a lot on the area of our mouth and on our minds because as we affect those things will affect change in our everyday life and in the lives of others. Amen. Um, so I'm going to go into some scriptures now on the fear of the Lord. And um, so real quick, but Deborah has something she wanted to say. I just wanted to touch off before you uh, veered on another mm-hmm. uh, little tale mm-hmm. there. I just wanted to touch on uh, the power of the, uh, about the thoughts real quick and how people with sometimes people with obsessive compulsive uh, disorder can, if they're thinking about they're obsessing over the same thought over and over again, it's, it's not, it's, they're normally not very good thoughts. They just speak out loud. Sometimes they're taught, if they're thinking about something, they're told they can think about what they want, and then all of a sudden, in five seconds, just just say their name out loud. If you try that right now, whatever you're thinking right now, in five seconds, I'm going to tell you to stop thinking it and just say your name out loud. Five, four, three, two, one, say your name out loud. You're not going to, you can't think and say your name out loud. The minute you the minute you say something out loud, you're not going to be able to you stop thinking what you're thinking because you can't do the same, both at once like Adam's been talking about. And another book that is all another book I would recommend is called "Who Switched Off My Brain" by Caroline Leaf, and it talks about the brain and toxic thoughts and uh, things of this nature, which I am not in any way expertise able to comprehend or, I mean, able to explain to you in a way that she would do. So I would just recommend getting that book because she actually speaks about and shows pictures of the brain and how when we have these toxic thoughts and how then a pattern of a person of their brain is different, the picture of it is different of that of the brain who is actually thinking maybe positive and thinking in different ways and and things like that but the ones who are thinking negative and those toxic thoughts for whatever reason because they're not renewing their mind and they're not casting down that thought then that toxic thought looks like a black branchy thorny twisty looking tree it's really different from the quote person who has a normal Look at one, but the good news is that she talks in there about how to detox your brain. Once you understand the, the whole area of it, you can detox your brain in certain areas. That may sound crazy. You just have to get the book because I'm not a doctor who has researches a really long time. You just have to look into it and trust me. Adam. Amen. So, you know, we've been talking again a lot about the honor and the fear of the Lord for anyone maybe that's just tuned in. And, um, you know, regarding the fear of the Lord, so now if you're realizing, man, I really need more of the fear of the Lord in my life, how can I get that? Well, the Bible is very clear, again, that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the, the Bible says that regarding wisdom, it says that if any man lacks wisdom, he can ask God without doubting and receive it. Amen? So that means if you realize that you don't have it, 
you can ask God for it. You know, so I just want to lead anybody before we go on in just a prayer to receive that. You know, the, uh, according to the Word of God, it says, again, we, we can ask without doubting. And uh, Deborah mentioned a scripture from Isaiah 11 that talked about these different manifestations of the Spirit of God that were on Jesus, and one of them was the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. So it is a manifestation of the Spirit of God. It's something God grants us the ability to do. We, none of us have any capacity to love God, to fear God, anything. So we need to ask God for help. So I just want to leave it with Sarah. If you're a believer and you're, you realize you need to walk in the fear of the Lord, just say this to me. Say, Jesus, help me to walk in the fear of the Lord. I receive that now by faith in Jesus' name. Now just be still and just receive that by faith right now. And just believe that you're going to be going to walk in a, in a greater level of the fear of the Lord. And um, another way that we learn to fear God is God also teaches us to fear Him. And this is where we're going to start getting into a controversial subjects. And I'm not going to, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but it's uh, this is Deuteronomy 14:22 and 23, and it says, "Thou shalt thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, and thy field bringeth forth year by year." Thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn and of thy wine and of thy oil and of the first things of thy herds and thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord God always. So do you see that? God's actually saying here that the purpose of the tithe is to teach the fear of the Lord. There's a lot of people, it's crazy, something like 4% of the American church tithes right now. But according to this scripture, the purpose of God even ever instituted the tithe was to teach us the fear of God. How does the tithe help us fear God? Well, the answer is, is that when you take, the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. When you take of your treasure and you always get put God first by tithing off of it and say, okay, this 10%, no matter what's going on, that's going to God. When you do that with your finances, it actually teaches you to reverence God with, because why? Because you're already taking one of the most important things in your life, your finances, you know, the, the money that you work and, you know, you blood, sweat and tears and you live off of, and you give that to God. And when you do that, it teaches you to honor and fear him. So this idea that the tithe isn't for today, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if we can't even begin to know God without fearing him, and if, uh, and if God's given us this tool with our finances that teaches us to fear him, the idea that he's done away with the tithe is a really silly notion. I just want to say that. Um, you know, Malachi is very, very clear about the tithe. You say it's not in the New Testament. Well, even if it wasn't in the New Testament, the Bible is very clear here that it, the purpose of it is to teach us to fear him. And the Bible is very clear that without the fear of the Lord, we can't begin to know him. So just to say that that God somehow has changed that would be is a ridiculous notion. Amen? So we now so we've talked about fearing the Lord in our thoughts. We've talked about fearing the Lord in our mouths. We've talked and we're talking a little bit now about fearing the Lord in our finances and it goes into area, every area of our lives. And uh, real quick now, I want to go into just fearing the Lord. Uh, we've hit on this a little bit, fearing the God in our relationships. And I'm going to, there's three levels that we can begin to, we can to fear God. There's, there's those that are above us. There's like authorities and people above us, and there's people on our level, you know, your friends, the people that you hang out with on a regular basis. And then there's people below you. Maybe it's, you know, employees at your job. Maybe you're a manager. You know, maybe you're a pastor and you have people under you. That's what those things would refer to. So I'm going to give three scriptures. Um, Matthew 10:42. Uh, this is for those that are like more below you, not in, not that, and I'm talking about in position. I'm not saying that in God, God loves everybody equally, but we're talking about like ranks and positions. 
Matthew 10, 42 says, If anyone gives a cup of cold water to even one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that person will not lose their reward. Everybody say reward. And then for, now regarding those above you in position, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says, Those that labor full-time, that let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says that thou shalt not muzzle the ox and tread out, that tread out the corn, and the labor is worthy of thy reward. So he's saying that those that labor in the word of God and doctrine full time above you, they're, they're worthy, they, they deserve double honor. And, uh, and then regarding those on equal level, those the people you hang out with, the people you associate with, Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. So the Bible is very clear that we honor, we don't just honor those above us, we honor everybody. And there's a reward for those of us. The Bible says that if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. What does that mean? Well, what was the prophet's reward? Not too many prophets in the Bible were financially prosperous, so finances aren't necessarily the reward. The prophet's reward is to hear as God hears and see as God sees. So, for example, when we so the Bible is saying that when a prophet or a messenger from God is in our midst, when we honor them, then guess what? We receive from that gift of God what they what God gives them to the extent that you honor them is the extent that you receive from that revelation that's on the inside of them. That's the gift that's on the inside of them. Now, at the time that that scripture was given, that's in the Gospels. I don't have the chapter and verse in front of me, but there, there wasn't the fivefold ministry yet. But, but I do believe this, this pertains to every one of the fivefold offices. So if you have pastors in your life, you need to be honoring them. If you have teachers in your life, you need to be honoring them. And to the extent that you honor them is the extent that you're going to receive from the gift that's on the inside of them. You know, um, I was listening to one man of God talk about the subject of honor, and he would talk about how he would go into uh, foreign countries that understand this concept. And he says, like, like one day this guy bent down and started trying to wash his hands for him, and he was like, he felt uncomfortable. And the pastor leaned in and says, you know who that guy is? He's like, who? Because that's the head of the CIA for this entire nation. He goes, and why is he washing my hands? And he looks at me and says, you're the man of God, aren't you? These people, they, and these people, they saw this preacher as somebody who came to bring the word of God to them, and they honored him as such because that's what they wanted more than anything. And to the extent that they honored him is to the extent that they received from him, God would just bust loose. The Holy Ghost would just bust loose in their midst. These countries where you see like where people like eyeballs grow back, the dead are raised, arms grow out, it's, it's, a lot of it has to do with how they honor this messenger because the Bible is very clear that – when we honor when we when we honor the messenger, we honor the one that sent the messenger, which is God. And so, when we honor God, then God explodes in our midst. Amen. So, when but then these same preachers they come to America, and everyone's just like, "Hi, how are you? You know, we we gave you some, we got some leftover pizza for you to eat for dinner. Hope you enjoy it." And they treat them like they're just so ordinary. You know, yeah, it's just another guest speaker. And guess what? Maybe some arthritis, a couple back aches get healed, if that. So that's one of the reasons why we don't see the kind of moves of God in America like we see in other countries. But again, it doesn't just apply to the people above us. When we honor each other, we receive from the gifts that are in each other. When we honor those below us, we receive, we receive from them as well. So honor is very, very important to because God, God does a lot of his provision through people. So to the extent that we honor people, there's probably a lot of people in our lives. There's probably a lot of things God wants to do in each one of our lives that he doesn't because we don't honor the people around us, amen? So there's a lot of gifts and rewards that we could be getting that we're actually missing out on due to our lack of honor for each other on every level, amen?
Amen. I'm going to give you the number, the guest call-in number, in case you want to call in with a comment or praise report or prayer request, or you want to just talk about a question from tonight's show so far. The area code is 646-668-2093. That's 646-668-2093. One thing in here that uh, you're talking about relationships, you're talking about provision and uh, first fruits, you know, the, the tithes. There's another scripture about first fruits. Is Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increases. Malachi 3.10, and, uh, you know, wealth, the money, uh, sowing seed, uh, your wealth and your money, um, honoring God with your wealth, your money, your substance, um, sowing a seed into somebody's life or ministry's life or just wherever God tells you to put that that money that your obedience is is honoring God and also honoring God with your time with our time if God if we may have a, our own agenda for what we want to do with that time but God may have something else. And we may, oh, but I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. God's like, no, I want you to do this with it. And so actually doing that with our time. Talents as well. It's very important to use those for the kingdom and for, for gain of that as well. And so in that, and also in our body, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are at the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, in all of this, the 1 Corinthians 6.20 and the other one, you know, we were bought at a price. The blood of Jesus was the price that we were bought at. And therefore, we're not our own. We have to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. That's getting enough sleep, being on a internal clocks, you know, a schedule, um, and eating right, not overindulging in certain things, so, you know, having gluttony, um, things like that. So it just things that it, with our with all with our body making sure that we actually are eating the right thing, the right diet, so that our we can so that our body is in in good good shape so that we can run the race and and endurance and run that race being strong, healthy, fit and that we can run it the way we're supposed to so that we can can complete our race and not go home to heaven too early because we're not taking care of ourselves because we're when we don't take care of ourselves we open the door to the enemy to so get the bible says do not give place to the devil and if we're not taking care of ourselves then we open the door to the enemy to where he can come in simply out of us our neglect for our, our body which is actually actually not our own body it's it's the lord's so Another area I just wanted to briefly touch on, because I want to make sure I got all these areas. I felt like the Lord wanted me to touch on some more than others, and some 
less than others, but I wanted to at least touch on them. And ones like Adam had briefly touched on relationships, friendships, honoring the Lord with our friendships. You know, are we treating our friends right? Are we taking them for granted? Are we talking bad behind our back? Are we just, how are we treating our friends to their face and behind their back? Our family, our brothers, our sisters, our children, uh, whoever that family member is, cousin, how are we treating them? Are we being the true example of what God wants, what Christ wants, like Adam was talking about? That wife who's continually nagging, I, th- I thought I married a man of God, but but you're not this, that, and the other, and that other one who spoke life over the situation. Are we honoring God in our work situation? We may not be in the best work condition. We may be having people screaming at us. We may have, uh, have people treating us bad in that situation, cussing around us, maybe you got women who are not dressing. Maybe they're dressing provocatively and you're a guy or even a woman who's having issues with we're trying to stay free from being bisexual. But these people are dressing provocatively at work or wherever and it's a temptation. But we need to just be prayed up and, and go in there and however that work is and be an example, no matter how they try to push your buttons, because you can be in a really, really bad, negative environment where it just feels like it's going to drain you. But asking the Lord, hey, if this is where you want me to be salt at, and this is where you want me to be light at, help. <laughs> help me do it. Help me help me show the love of God. Because they'll know that we are Christians by by their love, by our love. You know, the world will know that we are Christians by by the love that we show, the love that we give, and also in our marriages. If you're married, honoring God in your marriage, he's actually the the head of the marriage. He's honoring, honoring him in that, being faithful to your spouse in word, in thought, in deed, in every area, wives being submitted to the husband, and the husband honoring her as a weaker vessel, but also honoring her and loving her and respecting her, too. And the woman respecting the, the husband. And that, you know, you're not going to cheat on that person, but also not going to commit adultery with your with your thoughts, either, in that marriage. So it's honoring them in, in all all areas of that. And also, parents. In Exodus 20, verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the earth, that the Lord your God is giving you. And, you know, our our Heavenly Father, He's our Father, so we need to honor Him as well. We need to honor our Father, God, as well. Our Abba Avinu. That means Abba Father. And so, you know, some people were raised by loving parents and with a loving father who was a good role model, but others weren't. So they were raised with with abusive fathers and who beat them or they weren't there. And so they took the way their father treated them 
and the way their father was, if it was a bad role model or they were never there, then they looked at God, they they placed that on God and say, well, that that's our father. That's the way God is. I mean, he's called a father. My dad was like this. He he did this, that, and that. He beat me or he said unkind words over me or he spoke terrible words over me or, or whatever the case may be. So or they had a good role model. They had a good Christian dad, and they so they look at and they project that onto our Heavenly Father. And, you know, as we were talking earlier about words and the importance of them, for every negative word spoken over a person's life, it actually takes four positive words spoken to erase the one negative word. So for every negative word that you speak over someone, make sure that somewhere along the line you speak four positives within that same hour or day somewhere in there because that actually cancels out the negative and edifies that person more. So in that, in the honoring of the marriage, so just be just be sure and, and edify them as well so that you can cancel the positive. Amen. Now, regarding, um, she, she mentioned like honoring, uh, you know, God with, in your workplace. Um, this is a uh, Romans 13 one. Now this is a very difficult concept for American Christians sometimes to grab because as one person I know put it, yeah, we are many times people trying to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset or with an American mindset. You know, uh, unfortunately, the American culture is steeped in a culture where we feel that it's okay to just speak however we want about our leaders, do what we want, talk what we want, and if I like my leader, I'll be good to him, and if I don't like my leader, well, I'll do what I want. And so American, the American culture has really been, lately, it's been steeped in rebellion. And uh, But this is what Romans 13.1 says. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. It says, rulers hold no terror to those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of one authority? Then do what's right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant, agents of wrath, to bring punishment upon the wrongdoer. It is therefore necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of a matter of conscience. And it goes into paying taxes and things of that nature, so... Notice it doesn't say that all good authority or all authority that does good is from God. It is all authority. Now, every authority, of course, one day will have to give subject answer before God for what they did with their authority. However, as long as we're on on this earth, he's saying no matter what kind of people they are, no matter what you think about them, if you fear God, you need to submit yourself to them. Now, of course, if they're telling you to do something wrong, they're telling you to do something sinful, that's completely different. There is a higher law. If you go into the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we'll go there right now, but there's a story where the king tells them they to bow in front of this golden idol. They, they tell the king no, but the, the key here is what they don't do is they don't look at the king and say, look, you pagan dog, we're not going to bow in front of your stupid idol. They were still respectful in their tone when you read the passage. They call, the, they call in the king, they're reverent in their attitude, but they do say, but however, we, won't, we will not bow. 
And uh, in the end, you know, God delivered them, and it wound up bringing a revelation of God to uh, to that king. You know, um, I know of people that have actually won governmental authorities in their city by rather than going to their government authorities to complain and talk about what terrible people they are, they would go to them and just choose to honor them and thank them for their service. And it would just absolutely break the people because they don't normally get that. And the, and sometimes people would even get saved as a result of this. I know of one story, uh, an example where there was a bunch of people in the church and they, they, the pastor came to them and what they, they, they called the city and they found out what one of the biggest needs of the city was. And basically what it was is that they, the city needed, the fire department needed these masks that gave them the ability to see through smoke in the midst of a burning house. And these, these masks were insanely expensive. They were something like, like 25000 for each mask. And uh, the church raised the money to get these masks for the fire department. It broke them. And uh, to this day, you know, and when the church finally broke bound, before you knew it, there were, there were people in the government coming to the church and when the church, you know, broke ground for their new building, there were members of the, the governmental authority there present, you know. So what did it do? It opened up the city, it opened up the government to them, and it was a, and as a result of honor. So we honor those above us, whether we feel good about them, whether we not feel good about them. So, for example, we, you know, there's a lot of stuff we see about our president right now. I don't agree with NSA, everything he's doing. How, and it's one thing to say that what he's doing is wrong, but really now it goes back to motive. But to sit there and say our president's a this and that, and he's a this and he's a that, and uh, that's wrong. It's, you can you can address the things that he's doing. That's different. But to but, but to he's this and he's that and he's what a horrible president we have and whatever. The Bible is very clear that you're actually speaking against authority that God has actually established, and you're actually bringing judgment on your own life. Um, I know of one story where basically back when President Clinton was in office, um, this minister I know that his wife had a dream, and in his dream there was this preacher on stage, and he was like railing against President Clinton, and the whole crowd, and everyone in the church congregation was like cheering, like yeah, you know, like cheering it on. What a horrible guy we got for president. What a, what a what an adulterer he is. And then in the vision, she saw this guy walk out the back of the door, and she felt to follow him in the dream. And she gets up, and she walks out the door, and when she comes out the door and sees him, the guy turns around. It was actually President Clinton. And in the dream, he clutches his heart and falls to the floor in the dream. And basically what God was showing her through the dream is that the actions of the church and the words that the church was speaking and the so-called conservative right in America, the words that they were speaking, the way they were talking about him, were actually hardening his heart towards the gospel. So it's very, very clear. Look, I mean, the Bible is very clear that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we're not going to win our government. We're not going to win our president. We're not going to win these things by telling them how horrible they are. And, you know, because it really grieves me when I see these uh, conservative, supposedly Christian commentators that, you know, they make a living by getting up and talking about our president like he's an idiot, you know, and then and these are supposedly the Christians and all the Christians listen to them. It's a complete lack of the fear of God. Yes, you can address what's going on. You can say this is wrong. You know, example of someone who did it right was there was a there was a preacher who was very close to President Clinton, and he, with love and honor in his heart, did look at President Clinton and say, you know, anybody who legislates the killing of millions of unborn children will one day spend his eternity in the lake of fire. He did tell him that, but it was in love. And President Clinton, from what I understand, at least honored and respected the man for telling him the truth. Amen. So it's really about motive, and it's about how you do these things. But to just speak, to slanderously speak and be critical towards our leaders, and, our, and, and this applies to your bosses at work. I have, my God, my boss comes in, he'll just slam doors, cuss people out, all this kind of stuff. 
But I remember like when I honored him, I just, you know, I do my job. I come in, I produce sales. I'm good to him. And, you know, I really never have any problems with him. And, uh, you know, I gave him a gospel soul winning survey. He filled it out, told me he was an atheist, but at least he respected me for giving it. And he started changing from that day. So, you know, like I said, negativity and criticism and beating people in the face, tell people how bad they are, never wins anybody. But, uh, but when it comes to authorities that are above you, it's a really dangerous place because all authority comes from God. And when we speak against them, we actually bring judgment on our lives. Amen. So very, very important. Right, exactly, because that's very true. And that is, as I said earlier, they'll know that we are Christians by our love and, and how we how we do that because submitting to the authority, but also, as you said, not talking, not talking bad about them and walking in love and not being critical is also honoring God. And in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now here's the same verse in the Message Bible. It's a lot different than traditional Bibles. Um, uh, versions and brings it into modern day terms and reads like a novel or a letter, it gives a different perspective to this verse. In Matthew 7, 1 through 5, the same verse, the same scripture, it's called, it says, a simple guide for behavior. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a, a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling road show mentally, mentality all over again. Playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. So, as I said, it's a little bit more modern-day kind of letter or novel reading, but it it sort of gives you an example of of not having the critical spirit and judging mentality as well, So, and being careful in that area. So... Amen. Um, well, we do have um, we do have a caller, so we're going to go ahead and try to take the call and see if they have something they want to say or a prayer request or anything of that nature real quick. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and take that call and hold on a second. Hello, area code 407. Welcome to Fire Talk Radio. What's your name and where are you hey, calling Nick. from? Hey, Never. I'm calling from uh, Richmond, Virginia. Oh, hey, Aaron, is that you? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you called. Did you want to talk and share, or did you just want to listen tonight? Uh, well, I've been listening uh, uh, for about 20 minutes, and I don't know if you touched on it, but I was kind of curious. When it comes to honoring uh, your parents, 
uh, particularly parents uh, that have a different religion than you, and that, that could go across the board, but just so happens my parents are Mormons. And, uh, you know, what's the best way to, you know, to honor God while honoring your parents when obviously, you know, it, it, it's it's a different religion. It's not the same. It's not Christianity. What's, what, what's y'all's advice on that? Amen. Well, you know, I'm going to go to a scripture that is actually, this particular scripture is actually referring to husbands and wives. Uh, but it's, uh, and it's going to be, and I'm going to find the scripture here. It's First uh, Peter 3.1. And in First Peter 3.1, it talks about honoring your husbands, and it talks about winning them without words. So the thing about honor is, is that, you know, you may not necessarily, your family may not, may not necessarily feel real honored by you sending them a, um, you know, a book why why their religion is bad, okay? But they're probably going to be, but they'll feel very honored if you just be nice to them, love them. You've already you've already preached the gospel to them. The best way you can honor them is honor them like you would want anybody else. Like how I mean, how would you want somebody to make you feel good? Like I mean, if somebody came and gave you a gift and just told you that you knew they would like and told you here, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you, and uh, then you would feel very honored. Well, you can do the same thing with them. And the Bible is very clear that if you'll do this, that if you honor them and just let them see the love in your life and don't preach at them, that you can literally win them without words. You've already preached the gospel to them, so now it's really just it's really just finding out what they feel honors them. You know, um, you know if they if you know compliment them. You know, tell them, you know, mom, dad, I want to tell you just what great parents you were growing up and how much you blessed my life. Thank you for having me, and just go out of your way to do things to to honor them. I know in my own life, like, for example, my dad now, he's not necessarily of a different religion, but I went through this thing in my life where, um, let's say we didn't always have the best relationship, let's just put it that way, and um, God, began to, God began to tell me I really needed to honor him. Now, at one point, God actually told me to go wash his feet, which I don't recommend you know, say do that with somebody of a different religion. You may not get it, but... Um, <laughs> But, but find ways, but the point is, is when I went out of my way and started honoring my dad, especially financially now, because honor, when, that, when the Bible talks about honoring your father and mother, one of the main ways it's talking about is it, it is speaking of finances. So financially bless your parents. There's a scripture in the Bible talks about repaying your parents, you know. So start financially honoring your parents. Find gifts that you think that they would appreciate and send them to them. And when they ask, why are you doing this? Well, Mom, Dad, I just don't really feel like I've to- told you how much I love you lately, and I just want to go ahead and make up for that. And just start going out and do those things, and you'll find that that'll break them a lot more than any amount of preaching you can ever do will. Amen? And then how would you recommend um, still honoring them when they try to come at you and, and, and turn you back to you know, their religion, and I feel like that could, you know, maybe apply to just about anybody who's got a different religion for their parents, but uh, how do you honor them without coming across as, you know, combative against, like, what, you know, the the wrongness? Okay. Well, just be very, you can be very respectful and say, you know, Mom, Dad, I really, really appreciate that you're concerned about me, and I know that you're doing this out of love for me, uh, but, I mean, honestly, Mom and Dad, I... I don't agree with what you believe, and I know you don't necessarily agree with what I believe, but I, but I definitely don't want that to come between us. I know you don't agree with what I'm doing right now, but I do want to let you know that I love you and that I appreciate you uh, for everything that you do. And uh, just leave that and just keep loving on them in the midst of it. You know, so you stand firm that, Mom, Dad, I don't believe that, but, you know, and I know you don't believe what I believe but I do love you anyway, you know, and just, just treat it like that. So in a loving way, you can just be like, Mom, Dad, 
I'm not going to change, but I do love you. You know, does that make sense? That makes sense. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. And I'm glad you called in, Aaron, and and uh, you're more than welcome to listen. Or if you have any more questions, just you know, uh, you can always text Adam. You have his number, right? Or you can message me on Facebook and let me know you have a question or comment or something like that. Or definitely. Okay, so um, you're welcome to either or. I'll just uh, keep you here, and I guess we'll just continue to roll here. <laughs> and if anybody else, I just want to get the number real quick. If anybody else wants to call in with a question, comment, prayer request, the number is 646-668-2093. That is 646-668-2093. Now, one thing that came to me that I really wanted to address is I was talking about how you submit yourself to authorities that are above you um, unless they're telling you to disobey a higher law of God. So let's so – let's, since I, talk, I mentioned marriage, so let's talk about in the context of marriage. Let's say you're a wife and, uh, you know, you've got a husband that isn't a believer and he's like, you know, I don't want you going to church and I'm, I'm tired of you reading that Bible all the time and stuff like that. You know, you don't have to – here's the deal. You don't have to disobey God to obey your husband. You can look – but you know, in the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like I mentioned, they looked at the king and respectfully said, you know, we honor you, king, but we're not going to bow. In the same way, you know, you can look at your husband or your spouse or whoever, and you can say, you know, you know, honey, I love you. You know, the dinner's in the oven. I'm going to be home soon. But the Bible says not to forsake these seven years old together. So, honey, I love you, but I have to obey God. And respectfully, you obey God despite the fact of their disagreements. You know, um, a good example was uh, Smith Wigglesworth, who if anyone doesn't know who he is, he, was, uh, he became a Christian when he was like 56. And that should give hope to anybody that in the middle of his life he became a Christian and wound up becoming this guy that, you know, through the Lord, you know, raised like something like 26 people from the dead and did amazing things for the Lord and became a testimony of what it is to walk in faith. This guy, he, he, he was an angry, you know, profane plumber, you know, and his wife, from my understanding, and it's like one day his wife went to church and he locked his wife out of the house. She slept on the porch and she got up the next morning and he let her in and she opened the door and she made him breakfast and kissed him on the cheek. And, it, you know, things like that finally just broke him, and eventually he became one of the, you know, the greatest testimonies of what a man of God is in recent times. So if you're a wife, I know this may be hard. You know, I know of one woman, she would pray, and she was asking God, you know, she was telling God, God, I, I trust you, but I don't trust my husband. And God's like, no, you don't trust me. Goes, no, 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 God, I trust you, but I don't trust my husband. And God's like, no, you don't trust me. And she's like, God, I don't get it. And God says, you don't trust me because I'm the one that told you to submit to him. So... You know, again, you submit yourself to authorities in this situation of marriage as long as they're not telling you to disobey a higher law of God. But when you do disobey them for the sake of obeying God, you do it with respect and love. So that's where the balance comes, you know, and uh, so that's really, really key. And the last thing I really want to touch on is um, I've talked about a couple of different ways you can increase and gain uh, a deeper fear of the Lord. And the last scripture I'm going to give for this uh, is one of the last ways we can develop a, a healthy fear of the Lord is uh, the Bible talks about the heavens. It's uh, actually Psalms 19, 1 and 14. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So to just break briefly, the Bible's basically saying that we can, the heavens declare how great and glorious God is. So we can determine 
One of the ways we can develop a fear of the Lord is understanding how great and mighty he is. One of the reasons we don't fear of God is because, of, again, we've kind of reduced his image in the church. We've made Jesus to be this guy that walks around with like a lamb around his shoulders and speaks Elizabethan English. My God, it's like when I watched uh, some of the representations of Jesus like that they've put out on TV in recent years, they made Jesus to be this, like, everyone else in the, it was amazing, like, everyone else in the show, like, spoke normal and acted like normal people. Jesus walked around with like a wave perm and, like, spoke, acted all sissy and spoke Elizabethan English to people. I didn't get it. And it was like, and so those images of Jesus have actually caused people to not have any fear of the Lord. So, I mean, Jesus would be this like milk toast guy that just walks around and bless you, my child. But according to the Bible, the heavens declare the glory of God. So let's talk about the heavens for a minute. Briefly, you know, besides the sun, the nearest star to us is uh, it's four light years away. You know, and how long is a light year? Well, light year, light, a light year is how far light travels in a year. And when you multiply and, you know, just and so and he, when you add it up, light literally travels six trillion miles in a year. That's insane. That's rounded. That's around six trillion miles in a year. Now multiply that by four. And that's how far the nearest star from us besides the nearest star from us is besides the sun. Now, and then now if we begin to calculate the next stars out there, we're talking about 10 and 20 light years away. You can't even begin to comprehend some of these numbers of how, how big, big this little, even the little bit of space near our planet is. But if now we start to go out to galaxies beyond to our galaxy and then galaxies beyond our galaxies and then the galaxies that even the Hubble telescope hasn't discovered yet, you begin to have a, I mean, just think six trillion times a trillion and you begin to begin to grasp how big this universe is. And yet the Bible says that he measured he, that, he, that he measured it with the palm of his hand. So God, like the same way that Kobe Bryant can palm basketball, God can palm this entire universe. People ask, well, how big is God? Well, the answer is as big as he wants to be. You know, um, he's big enough to, to palm the universe, but small enough to live in your heart. He's infinite. He has no, he upholds all things by the word of his power. You know, um, scientists, when, you know, studying things like the atom, and they talk about how like these electrons, you know, whiz around the atom and, uh, People, they, you know, scientific thought would be like, what, what holds all this together? And they, they, they call it atomic energy, but really that's just a scientific firm term for something they don't understand. The Bible is very clear that he upholds all things by the word of his power. So literally everything is abstained. Is in the same way that it was created by the word of God, the entire universe was, was, is sustained by the word of God. If, he, if God ever ceased to be, the entire universe would crumble and collapse into darkness. That's how great the one we serve is. Um, it's estimated that if a meteor one mile wide was to hit the Pacific Ocean, that one little bit of water, if released from the ocean, would wipe out a third of the Earth's population. But God measured these wa- the waters of the Earth like waters, like drops of water in the palm of his hand. This is the one that we're serving. And he has eyes like fire. His face shines brighter than the sun. The Bible talks about how when Jesus comes, the sun will be darkened. And I've listened to like you know theologians talk about, well, maybe it's an eclipse or something when it talks about the sun being darkened. No, absolutely not. What does that mean when it says the sun will be darkened? Well, in the same way that stars, you know, when stars come out at night, you know, when the sun comes up, do stars just kind of disappear? Do they, do, they, do, they, do they go flying down and hide behind the mountains, and then the sun comes sailing through the sky? Absolutely not. The reason you don't see the stars when the, when the sun comes up is because the glory of the sun outshines the glory of the stars. In the same way, but the Bible says that Jesus, has, that Jesus his face shines 
like the sun. When Jesus comes, his face is literally going to outshine the sun, and therefore you will not be able to see the sun even though it's still burning because the glory of the Lord will overpower it to the point where the Bible says that the men will cower and hide themselves in caves and say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. So that's, this is the one we're serving. He's not, he's not some weak, wimpy guy that walks around speaking nice things and bless you, my child. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and when we understand that, Will increase our will greater increase our capacity to fear him. Amen. Right, light travels hundred thousand kilometers per second, or one hundred eighty-six miles per second. The time it takes for light from stars to reach us is the distance to the star divided by the speed. The nearest star to us is the sun, and it takes about eight point three minutes. For its light to reach us here on Earth, so that's pretty. 186,000 miles per second is how how fast light travels. Or if you're more familiar with kilometers, 300,000 kilometers per second. Can you imagine? You 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 know you're going 55, 75 on on. This talk about 186. Thousand miles per hour, per second, mm-hmm. not hour per second. That's pretty wild. That's just, that's a lot. We've got about eighteen and a half minutes. So just real quick to let you know, the number is six four six 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 eight two zero nine three. And I just I feel prompted right now. I know we normally do at the end of the show, but I feel prompted to. Uh, let you know if uh, nobody's ever told you God has a really great plan for your life and he loves you so much. And God forbid if today was your last day on earth, you know for sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that you would go to heaven. If you're uh, just, just to let you know, the Holy Bible reads that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And whoever calls upon his name shall be saved. If you want to make sure you're going to go to heaven, just meet it with your heart. And just repeat after me. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'll let you know if you prayed that prayer from your heart. And I mean, if you pray that prayer and you meant it from your heart, all of your sins are forgiven you. Always remember to run to God and not from God because he loves you a great deal and has a wonderful plan for your life. And of course, we always want to give an invitation uh, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible is very clear in Jude 20. It gives a command, not a suggestion. You know, we're talking about the fear of the Lord. I will say that, you know, when you fear God, you just take what the Word of God says. And so... If it says, you, beloved, Jude 20, build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. So I just have a question for you if you don't speak in tongues. Are you his beloved? If the answer is yes, then that means it's for you. Uh, the Bible is very clear. It says that if, you have earthly fathers ask their, if earthly children ask their fathers for bread, he does not give them snakes or stones. And that means if you're uh, asking God for something, if you're asking God for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you something of the devil. You know, yes, there are Satanists out there that speak in tongues, but guess what? That's because they ask the devil for it. So in the same way, if you ask God for the true gift of speaking in tongues, you can have it. So when I count to three, just say this first. Say one, two, three, Jesus, 
fill me with the Holy Ghost. Fill me with power to live for you. I receive that new language now in Jesus' name. The book of James says very clearly that faith without corresponding obedience is what that word works there means is dead. So when I count to three, open your mouth and just begin to speak it out. I'm literally telling you not to speak English, don't speak Spanish, don't speak any other languages. You know, I'm literally telling you by faith, begin to speak out some new syllables. You say, well, I feel stupid. Well, the Bible says he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Well, I don't understand it. The Bible says when we pray in tongues, we pray mysteries. Mystery is something you don't know. You're not supposed to understand it. God's supposed to understand it. Your spirit's supposed to understand it. But when you but you take by faith from the Word of God that you, when you ask God for it, just like the Word says, He gave you the Holy Spirit. And when you're speaking out, you're praying the perfect will of God. When I count to three, open your mouth and begin to speak it out. One, two, three. Now. Some of you, the listening, you've probably been looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for years. If you'll just open your mouth and begin to speak out those new syllables, it'll come upon you. I have one testimony from, I was at the lunch table one day, and there was this lady who went to a spirit-filled church. She's like, yeah, I'm still waiting on that gift. And I said, you just never released it. You never spoke it out. And so when I told her to do this, she began to speak at the lunch table. She began, to, she began to be touched by the power of God with her hands in the air and began to speak in other tongues. She, it was there the whole time. So don't let ignorance or false teaching or teachers that teach you that this isn't for you to keep you from this amazing gift in your life. Begin to speak it out. Amen. And uh, God bless you. And Deborah, do you have anything to say? Yes, I was, uh, we've been speaking today about a lot of things. Well, tonight I'm talking about how with the thoughts, and the words, and I'm just going to just crop tell you of all negative words spoken over everybody's lives, including myself. Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you right now that you're here with us and that your presence is here. We thank you for your love and your kindness. And we just we just speak right now, and we just break every negative word that's been spoken over our lives over the people listening, their lives are listening now, and that will listen. For everybody, the sound of my voice, whether it's live or if it's coming up, I break the curses spoken over your life. I break every negative word spoken over your life. In the name of Jesus, it will not pass. It falls to the ground and is rendered harmless. In the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus is above every name. So we speak to that, and we, we command a crop failure right now in the name of Jesus. And every positive, every word, every every positive word, every word of God spoken over your life, over my life, over Adam's life, over everybody's life listening comes to pass, comes to fruition in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that, Father, right now. We thank you that every idle word spoken over our lives is null and void. Every curse spoken over our lives is gone, done, in the name of Jesus. It has no power because I cancel it with my words. I speak life into them. I speak life into us in the name of Jesus. And we speak and we ask you, Father, to put a a guard over our mouth, to put a guard over our hearts, put a guard over our thoughts, and help us to live holy and pure lives that bring you honor and, and only you honor with our whole lives, every part of our lives in the name of Jesus. We have another caller we're going to go to right now and we're going we're gonna to answer this call in, 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 in just a moment. 
Hello, area code 775. Um, welcome to Fire Talk Radio. Thank you for calling. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hello? Yeah, they might be a little bit bashful, but if you if you have something you want to say, area code 775, you're more than welcome to say it. Or if you have a question, if not, we'll just keep you on as as uh, a listener who's who is going to keep uh, silent for now. But if you have any questions or comments, feel free to talk. Uh, area code 775. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and put your microphone then on mute. Okay, right now. And if you have any questions, push the number the button number one on your phone, and then it'll, it'll I'll know that you have something to say. I'm glad that you called. I'm glad that you're listening. And I'm glad that you're here. We speak blessings over your life, and we curse. We 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 break every curse that's been spoken over your life in the name of Jesus. Area code seven seven five. We break the power of the negative words spoken over your life, and every curse and everything that's not of God spoken over your life. And we speak blessings over your life in the name of Jesus. Abundant blessings. We thank you for calling. I'm gonna put your microphone on mute right now. I'm glad that that caller called. Some callers, they they say something, and sometimes they don't. But that's okay. We're just glad that they're joining us. And but uh, I just wanted to give them the opportunity to speak in case that they did want to speak. So they didn't have their hand raised. There's a certain system, which is a long story, which I'm sure the listeners aren't, aren't really, you know. So anyway, but so I just wanted to pray that crop failure about negative words and curses spoken over the lives. And 775, your microphone is on mute, so feel free to, you know, you're on mute right now. So, but stay with us. Just listen to me, blessed. Um, but we appreciate you calling. Um, lastly, before we have 10 minutes left, uh, we begin with the fact that the fear of the Lord is, uh, is the beginning of wisdom. So I want to end with the fear of the Lord, and it gives us the ability to endure forever. Uh, the Bible says in Psalms 19.9, it says, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. You know, um, I remember, you know, listening to a great man of God speak once, and he was talking about, and he, he said he saw this verse, and he says, you know, Lucifer lost his fear of the Lord, and he did not endure forever. You know, Adam and Eve, you know, in the garden, for whatever reason, they lost their fear of the Lord, and as a result, they sold out to the devil, and they didn't endure forever. The fear of the Lord is so crucial to us, because when we fear the Lord, we'll obey God when we don't like it, when we doesn't, when, it, when we don't like what it sounds like, etc. We're going to obey God. You know, we're going to be like, you know, Peter, who when Jesus said, "Do you want to leave too?" Peter was like, uh, "Where else are we going to go? You're the ones with the words of eternal life." You know, and you know, so we maintain our fear of the Lord by, you know, with by just every day, you know, being in His Word, being in His presence, asking God to to help us walk in the fear of the Lord, uh, you know, not losing, not developing this image of Him as this weak, soft, wimpy God, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords that He is. You know, so that's my prayer for everyone today, that they'll walk in the fear of the Lord and that they'll, they'll endure forever. Because, you know, what's, what's crazy is, uh, I'm not going to go there right now, but in the book of Revelation, if you read up, it, you know, it talks about in the millennium and the thousand years when Jesus, you know, reigns on the earth, that it says after that thousand years, the devil will be released to deceive the nations once more. And he'll do such a good job. These are people that, have, that will have seen Jesus for a th- over a thousand, like for a thousand years, and then they're going to still turn against him. Why? Because eventually, somewhere along the lines, they lose their fear and reverence for him. 
And uh, as a result, they feel that they can turn on him and they're, 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 in one, they're in the ones of being the lake of fire with the devil. Those that worship around the throne of God for all of eternity will be tested in the fear of the Lord. In the same way Adam and Eve was, and the same way that these people are, will all be tested in our fear of the Lord. So it's crucial. Don't let anyone tell you, well, this is the New Testament, and we just have to love God. We don't have to fear God. No, no. He's the King of kings. If, if, they, if, we had to fear, if they had to fear God in the Old Testament, how much more in the New Testament when he gives us the grace more to live it? Amen? So fear of the Lord, very, very crucial in our lives. Yeah, bro? Right. And I, I think also all of this, and Calvin, all of this is is talking about keeping our heart right as well, and and that includes just every every part. And I think forgiveness also is a is a crucial part and of honoring God. It brings honor to God because if we don't forgive, then we ourselves actually cannot be forgiven. So it's very important, you know. Earlier before the show. I was, uh, my friend and I were looking at some clips and things like that and um, about about um, uh, about forgiveness and we were watching and talking about forgiveness and there's a, a one minute clip I'm going to play about something. This is about me. Adam, could you forgive a man that brutally killed your daughter? Only by the grace of God. Amen. Because this is about, this is a one minute clip about a man. He was a serial killer and his name was Gary Ridgway. And these, these people were, these people were um, invited to speak at this man's trial. And he pleaded guilty to over 49 murders. Um, 49 people's lives were affected by this, and he ple- he pleaded guilty so that he wouldn't get the death the death sentence, and so he wouldn't have to endure a trial. And I'm gonna play this right here. Gary Ridgway sat there stone faced as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. He's an animal. I wish for him to have a long, suffering, cruel death. He's gonna go to hell, and that's where he belongs. But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims appeared to surprise him with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgway, um, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You've, You've made it difficult to live up to what I believe, and it is what God says to do, and that's to forgive. You are forgiven, sir. That's pretty powerful right there. I mean, that's true life drama and forgiveness about and how that honors that honors God. And so I was thinking about how 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 forgiveness also what are your thoughts on that adam well i'm just gonna end that with uh reading a scripture this is matthew 18 this is matthew 18 you know because um i'll say this again when you fear god you'll take him you'll take him at his word so i'm just gonna ask everyone as i read what i'm about to read before we go just listen to this like you've never heard it before as if it's the holy spirit speaking to you because it is it says 
it says that uh, in, Rome, in Matthew 18, and I'm going to start here in verse 30. Uh, actually, I'm going to start in verse 29, and it says that, I'm sorry, verse 28. It says, gosh, i got to get the beginning here. Sorry, guys. Uh, it says, the king, it's verse 23, sorry. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And he began to reckon one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents, and our currency would be like $10 billion. And for as much as he had not to pay, the, command, the Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife and his children, and all that he had. The servant bowed down and worshipped and says, Lord, have patience, and I will pay you all. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave the debt. The same servant went out and found one of his servants that owed him 100 pence, so you could say, which in that time was a big amount of money, but nothing like what he was forgiven of. And he laid hands on him and said, pay me what you owe. The servant said, have patience with me and I will pay all. He would not, went, cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. The servant saw, they went to the king and told what was done. The king, when he called him, said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you asked me. Should you not also have compassion on your servant as I had pity on you? And the Lord was angry and delivered him to the tormentor until he should pay that was due to him. And here's Jesus. So likewise will my heavenly Father do to each of you if you from your hearts do not forgive every brother your trespasses. We've been, if you're a Christian, you've been forgiven the unpayable debt, we, you know, which, was, it was a, which is eternity in hell. Jesus has paid that for you. And so if you don't forgive your brother the trespasses, which is far less than, what you, than, which is far less than what's been done to Jesus, then God says he'll reinstate the debt and you will not get out until you pay the last penny. And keep, it is an unpayable debt. In the parable, $10 billion is an unpayable debt. So it's not just being tormented in this life. It's being tormented in hell for all of eternity. If you fear the Lord, you'll heed this warning from Scripture because that's what warnings are. They're there to protect you. And as they were saying, you'll forgive. You may not feel it, but you can by faith you begin to forgive and you can begin to pray for those people and ask God to do a work in your heart. Amen? That's very good. It's uh, helping us understand all that, Adam. <laughs> so I just wanted to let you know about a about a event that's taking place in Washington D.C. right now, and it's an event that our church is doing. Well, the church that we go to is doing. So I want to play you a quick um, a quick promo there and let you know what's happening there. My name is Rodney Howard Brown, and I'm inviting you to celebrate America at the Daughters of the American Revolution Constitution Hall. July the 1st through the 19th, Celebrate America is going to be a spiritual invasion of the Jesus kind. Enlist today for free at CelebrateAmericaDC.com. And that's the 1st through the 19th, so that's Tuesday through Saturday of this coming week. So it'll be tomorrow through Saturday. And so to let you know about that, I was going to... Is that very, very powerful, and a lot of souls won over there, and a lot more souls are going to be won, right, Adam? Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you have it, if you need to call for prayer, call one eight six six eight five seven four eight three seven. 857 If you have a prayer request or anything like that, call um, email firetalkradio, the number two, at yahoo.com. Go to Revival.com and watch live services there. And also, if you're interested, if you have a call of God on your life in August or having a school starting up, our RBI Bible School, so you can call that number I just gave you for that as well. We've got about 30 seconds. Adam, anything you want to say before we go? Um, just that we believe we're going to see the fear of the Lord return to the church and to America, and that that will be what sweeps in this great end-time revival. God bless everybody that's listening. We appreciate you. 
And uh, we just pray that the, you walk in this and all of us walk in this. And uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. <laughs> and uh, may his face shine upon you. Amen. God bless you all. Amen. And just remember that you are loved, you are valuable, you're accepted in the beloved. And we have about 10 seconds, so be sure and join us next Monday at 8 p.m. Till we meet again.